Section thirty two of Roxana by Daniel Defoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I have related how my faithful friend the Quaker was come to me, and what account she gave me of her being continually haunted by my daughter, and that, as she said, she watched her very door night and day. The truth was, she had set a spy to watch so effectually, that she, the Quaker, neither went in or out, but she had notice of it. This was too evident when the next morning, after she came to me, for I kept her all night, to my unspeakable surprise, I saw a hackney coach stop at the door where I lodged, and saw her, my daughter, in the coach all alone. It was a very good chance, in the middle of a bad one, that my husband had taken out the coach that very morning, and was gone to London. As for me, I had neither life nor soul left in me. I was so confounded I knew not what to do, or to say. My happy visitor had more presence of mind than I, and asked me if I had made no acquaintance among the neighbours. I told her, yes, there was a lady lodged two doors off, that I was very intimate with. But hast thou no way out backward to go to her? says she. Now it happened there was a back door in the garden, by which we usually went and came to and from the house, so I told her of it. Well, well, says she, go out and make a visit then, and leave the rest to me. Away I run, told the lady, for I was very free there, that I was a widow to-day, my spouse being gone to London. So I came not to visit her, but to dwell with her that day, because also our landlady had got strangers come from London. So having framed this orderly lie, I pulled some work out of my pocket, and added I did not come to be idle. As I went out one way, my friend the Quaker went the other to receive this unwelcome guest. The girl made but little ceremony, but having bid the coachman or ring at the gate, gets down out of the coach and comes to the door, a country girl going to the door, belonging to the house, for the Quaker forbid any of my maids going. Madame asked for my Quaker by name, and the girl asked her to walk in. Upon this, my Quaker, seeing there was no hanging back, goes to her immediately, but put all the gravity upon her countenance that she was mistress of, and that was not a little indeed. When she, the Quaker, came into the room, for they had showed my daughter into a little parlour, she kept to her grave countenance, but said not a word, nor did my daughter speak a good while, but after some time my girl began and said, I suppose you know me, madame. Yes, says the Quaker, I know thee. And so the dialogue went on. Then you know my business too? No, verily, I do not know any business thou canst have here with me. Indeed, my business is not chiefly with you. Why then dost thou come after me thus far? You know whom I seek, and with that she cried. But why shouldst thou follow me for her, since thou knowst that I assured thee more than once, that I knew not where she was? But I hoped you could. Then thou must hope that I did not speak the truth, which would be very wicked. I doubt not, but she is in this house. If those be thy thoughts, 
thou mayst inquire in the house, so thou hast no more business with me. Farewell, offers to go. I would not be uncivil. I beg you to let me see her. I am here to visit some of my friends, and I think thou art not very civil in following me hither. I came in hopes of a discovery in my great affair, which you know of. Thou camest wildly indeed, I counsel thee to go back again, and be easy. I shall keep my word with thee, that I would not meddle in it, or give thee any account if I knew it, unless I had her orders. If you knew my distress, you could not be so cruel. Thou hast told me all thy story. And I think it might be more cruelty to tell thee than not to tell thee, for I understand she is resolved not to see thee, and declares she is not thy mother. Wilt thou be owned where thou hast no relation? Oh, if I could but speak to her, I would prove my relation to her, so that she could not deny it any longer. Well, but thou canst not come to speak with her, it seems. I hope you will tell me if she is here. I had a good account that you were come out to see her, and that she sent for you. I much wonder how thou couldst have such an account. If I had come out to see her, thou hast happened to miss the house, for I assure thee she is not to be found in this house. Here the girl importuned her again with the utmost earnestness, and cried bitterly, insomuch that my poor Quaker was softened, and began to persuade me to consider of it, and if it might consist with my affairs, to see her, and hear what she had to say. This was afterwards. I return to the discourse. The Quaker was perplexed with her a long time. She talked of sending back the coach and lying in the town all night. This, my friend, knew would be very uneasy to me, but she durst not speak a word against it. But on a sudden thought she offered a bold stroke, which, though dangerous if it had happened wrong, had its desired effect. She told her that, as for dismissing her coach, that was as she pleased. She believed she would not easily get a lodging in the town but that, as she was in a strange place, she would so much befriend her, that she would speak to the people of the house, that if they had room, she might have a lodging there for one night, rather than be forced back to London, before she was free to go. This was a cunning, though a dangerous step, and it succeeded accordingly, for it amused the creature entirely she presently concluded that really i could not be there then otherwise she would never have asked her to lie in the house so she grew cold again presently as to her lodging there and said no since it was so she would go back that afternoon but she would come again in two or three days and search that and all the towns round in an effectual manner if she stayed a week or two to do it for in short if i was in england or holland she would find me in truth says the quaker thou wilt make me very hurtful to thee then why so says she because wherever i go thou wilt put thyself to great expense and the country to a great deal of unnecessary trouble not unnecessary says she 
yes, truly, says the Quaker, it must be unnecessary, because it will be to no purpose. I think I must abide in my own house to save thee that charge and trouble. She said little to that, except that she said she would give her as little trouble as possible, but she was afraid she should sometimes be uneasy to her, which she hoped she would excuse. My Quaker told her she would much rather excuse her if she would forbear, for that if she would believe her, she would assure her she should never get any intelligence of me by her. That set her into tears again, but after a while, recovering herself, she told her perhaps she might be mistaken, and she, the Quaker, should watch herself very narrowly, or she might one day or other get some intelligence from her whether she would or no, and she was satisfied she had gained some of her by this journey, that if I was not in the house, I was not far off, and if I did not remove very quickly, she would find me out. Very well, says my Quaker, then if the lady is not willing to see thee, thou givest me notice to tell her that she may get out of thy way. She flew out in a rage at that, and told my friend that if she did, a curse would follow her, and her children after her, and denounced such horrid things upon her as frighted the poor tender-hearted Quaker strangely, and put her more out of temper than ever I saw her before, so that she resolved to go home the next morning, and I, that was ten times more uneasy than she, resolved to follow her and go to London, too, which, however, upon second thoughts I did not, but took effectual measures not to be seen or owned if she came any more, but I heard no more of her for some time. I stayed there about a fortnight, and in all that time I heard no more of her, or of my Quaker about her, but after about two days more I had a letter from my Quaker intimating that she had something of moment to say that she could not communicate by letter, but wished I would give myself the trouble to come up, directing me to come with the coach into Goodman's Fields, and then walk to her back door on foot, which, being left open on purpose, the watchful lady, if she had any spies, could not well see me. My thoughts had for so long time been kept, as it were, waking, yet almost everything gave me the alarm and this especially, so that I was very uneasy. But I could not bring matters to bear to make my coming to London so clear to my husband as I would have done, for he liked the place, and had a mind, he said, to stay a little longer, if it was not against my inclination. So I wrote my friend the Quaker word that I would not come to town yet, and that besides I could not think of being there under spies, and afraid to look out of doors, and so in short I put off going for near a fortnight more. At the end of that time she wrote again, in which she told me that she had not lately seen the impertinent visitor which had been so troublesome, but that she had seen my trusty agent Amy, who told her she had cried for six weeks without intermission, that Amy had given her an account how troublesome the creature had been, and to what straits and perplexities I was driven by her hunting after and following me from place to place, upon which Amy had said that notwithstanding I was angry with her, and had used her so hardly for saying something about her of the same kind, yet there was an absolute necessity 
of securing her and removing her out of the way and that in short without asking my leave or anybody's leave she should take care she should trouble her mistress meaning me no more and that after amy had said so she had indeed never heard any more of the girl so that she supposed amy had managed it so well as to put an end to it the innocent well-meaning creature my quaker who was all kindness and goodness in herself and particularly to me saw nothing in this but she thought amy had found some way to persuade her to be quiet and easy and to give over teasing and following me and rejoiced in it for my sake as she thought nothing of any evil herself so she suspected none in anybody else and was exceeding glad of having such good news to write to me but my thoughts of it run otherwise i was struck as with a blast from heaven at the reading her letter i fell into a fit of trembling from head to foot and i ran raving about the room like a mad woman i had nobody to speak a word to to give vent to my passion nor did i speak a word for a good while till after it had almost overcome me i threw myself on the bed and cried out lord be merciful to me she has murdered my child and with that a flood of tears burst out and i cried vehemently for above an hour my husband was very happily gone out a-hunting so that i had the opportunity of being alone and to give my passions some vent by which i a little recovered myself but after my crying was over then i fell in a new rage at amy i called her a thousand devils and monsters and hard-hearted tigers i reproached her with her knowing that i abhorred her and had let her know it sufficiently and that i had as it were kicked her out of doors after so many years friendship and service only for naming it to me well after some time my spouse came in from his sport and i put on the best looks i could to deceive him but he did not take so little notice of me as not to see i had been crying and that something troubled me and he pressed me to tell him i seemed to bring it out with reluctance but told him my backwardness was more because i was ashamed that such a trifle should have any effect upon me than for any weight that was in it so i told him i had been vexing myself about my woman amy's not coming again that she might have known me better than not to believe i should have been friends with her again and the like and that in short i had lost the best servant by my rashness that ever woman had well well says he if that be all your grief i hope you will soon shake it off i warrant you in a little while we shall hear of mrs amy again and so it went off for that time did not go off with me i was uneasy and terrified to the last degree and wanted to get some farther account of the thing so i went away to my sure and certain comforter the quaker and there i had the whole story of it and the good innocent quaker gave me joy of my being rid of such an unsufferable tormentor rid of her ay says i if i was rid of her fairly and honourably 
I don't know what Amy may have done. Sure, she had made her away. Fie, says my Quaker, how canst thou entertain such a notion? No, no, made her away, Amy didn't talk like that. I dare say thou mayst be easy in that. Amy has nothing of that in her head, I dare say, says she, and so threw it, as it were, out of my thoughts. But it would not do. It ran in my head continually, night and day, I could think of nothing else, and it fixed such a horror of the fact upon my spirits, and such a detestation of Amy, who I looked upon as the murderer, that as for her, I believe, if I could have seen her, I should certainly have sent her to Newgate, or to a worse place upon suspicion. Indeed, I think I could have killed her with my own hands. As for the poor girl herself, she was ever before my eyes. I saw her by night and by day. She haunted my imagination if she did not haunt the house. My fancy showed me her in a hundred shapes and postures, sleeping or waking. She was with me. Sometimes I thought I saw her with her throat cut, sometimes with her head cut, and her brains knocked out, other times hanged up upon a beam, another time drowned in the great pond at Camberwell and all these appearances were terrifying to the last degree, and that which was still worse I could really hear nothing of her. I sent to the captain's wife in Redriff, and she answered me she was gone to her relations in Spitalfields. I sent thither, and they said she was there about three weeks ago, but that she went out in a coach with a gentlewoman that used to be so kind to her, but whither she was gone they knew not, for she had not been there since. They sent back the messenger for a description of the woman she went out with, and they described her so perfectly that I knew it to be Amy and none but Amy. I sent word again that Mrs. Amy, who she went out with, left her in two or three hours, and that they should search for her, for I had a reason to fear she was murdered. This frighted them all intolerably. They believed Amy had carried her to pay her a sum of money, and that somebody had watched her after her having received it, and had robbed and murdered her. I believed nothing of that part, but I believed, as it was, that whatever was done, Amy had done it, and that, in short, Amy had made her away, and I believed it the more, because Amy came no more near me, but confirmed her guilt by her absence. Upon the whole, I mourned thus for her for above a month finding Amy still come not near me, and that I must put my affairs in a posture that I might go to Holland, I opened all my affairs to my dear trusty friend the Quaker, and placed her in matters of trust in the room of Amy, and with a heavy bleeding heart for my poor girl, I embarked with my spouse, and all our equipage and goods, on board another Holland's trader, not a packet-boat, but went over to Holland where I arrived, as I have said. I must put in a caution, however, here, that you must not understand me as if I let my friend the Quaker into any part of the secret history of my former life, nor did I commit the grand reserved article of all to her, that I was really the girl's mother of the Lady Roxana there. was no need of that part being exposed. It was always a maxim with me that secrets should never be opened without evident utility. It could be of no manner of use to me or her to communicate that part to her, 
besides she was too honest herself to make it safe to me for though she loved me very sincerely and it was plain by many circumstances that she did so yet she would not lie for me upon occasion as amy would and therefore it was not advisable on any terms to communicate that part for if the girl or any one else should have come to her afterwards and put it home to her whether she knew that i was the girl's mother or not or was the same as the lady roxana or not she either would not have denied it or would have done it with so ill a grace such blushing such hesitations and falterings in her answers as would have put the matter out of doubt and betrayed herself and the secret too for this reason i say i did not discover anything of that kind to her but i placed her as i have said in amy's stead in the other affairs of receiving money interests rents and the like as she was as faithful as amy could be and as diligent but there fell out a great difficulty here which i knew not how to get over and this was how to convey the usual supply of provision and money to the uncle and the other sister who depended especially the sister upon the said supply for her support and indeed though amy had said rashly that she would not take any more notice of the sister and would leave her to perish as above yet it was neither in my nature or amy's either much less was it in my design and therefore i resolved to leave the management of what i had reserved for that work with my faithful quaker but how to direct her to manage them was the great difficulty amy had told them in so many words that she was not their mother but that she was the maid amy that carried them to their aunts that she and their mother went over to the east indies to seek their fortune and that their good things had befallen them and that their mother was very rich and happy that she amy had married in the indies but being now a widow and resolving to come over to england their mother had obliged her to inquire them out and do for them as she had done and that now she was resolved to go back to the indies again but that she had orders from their mother to do very handsomely by them and in a word told them she had two thousand pounds apiece for them upon condition that they proved sober and married suitably to themselves and did not throw themselves away upon scoundrels the good family in whose care they had been i had resolved to take more than ordinary notice of and amy by my order had acquainted them with it and obliged my daughters to promise to submit to their government as formerly and to be ruled by the honest man as by a father and counsellor and engaged him to treat them as his children and to oblige him effectually to take care of them and to make his old age comfortable both to him and his wife who had been so good to the orphans i had ordered her to settle the other two thousand pounds that is to say the interest of it which was a hundred and twenty pounds a year upon them be theirs for both their lives but to come to my two daughters after them this was so just and was so prudently managed by amy that nothing she ever did for me pleased me better and in this posture leaving my two daughters with their ancient friend and so coming away to me as they thought to the east indies she had prepared everything in order to her going over with me to holland and in this posture that matter stood when that unhappy girl who i have said so much of broke in upon all our measures as you have heard 
and by an obstinacy never to be conquered or pacified either with threats or persuasions pursued her search after me her mother as i have said till she brought me even to the brink of destruction would in all probability have traced me out at last if amy had not by the violence of her passion and by a way which i had no knowledge of and indeed abhorred put a stop to her of which i cannot enter into the particulars here however notwithstanding this i could not think of going away and leaving this work so unfinished as amy had threatened to do and for the folly of one child to leave the other to starve or to stop my determined bounty to the good family i have mentioned so, in a word, I committed the finishing it all to my faithful friend, the Quaker, to whom I communicated as much of the whole story as was needful to empower her to perform what Amy had promised, and to make her talk so much to the purpose as one employed more remotely than Amy had been needed to be. To this purpose she had first of all a full possession of the money, and went first to the honest man and his wife, and settled all the matter with them she talked of mrs amy she talked of her as one that had been empowered by the mother of the girls in the indies but was obliged to go back to the indies and had settled all sooner if she had not been hindered by the obstinate humour of the other daughter that she had left instructions with her for the rest that the other had affronted her so much that if she was gone away without doing anything for her and that now if anything was done it must be by fresh orders from the east indies I need not say how punctually my new agent acted, but which was more, she brought the old man and his wife and my other daughter several times to her house, by which I had an opportunity, being there only as a lodger and a stranger, to see my other girl, which I had never done before, since she was a little child. The day I contrived to see them, I was dressed up in a Quaker's habit, and looked so like a Quaker that it was impossible for them, who had never seen me before, to suppose I had ever been anything else. Also my way of talking was suitable enough to it, for I had learned that long before. I have not time here to take notice what a surprise it was to me to see my child, how it worked upon my affections with what infinite struggle i mastered a strong inclination that i had to discover myself to her how the girl was the very counterpart of myself only much handsomer and how sweetly and modestly she behaved how on that occasion i resolved to do more for her than i had appointed by amy and the like it is enough to mention here that as the settling of this affair made way for my going on board notwithstanding the absence of my old agent amy so however i left some hints for amy too for i did not yet despair of my hearing from her and that if my good quaker should ever see her again she should let her see them wherein particularly ordering her to leave the affair of spitalfields just as i had done in the hands of my friend she should come away to me upon this condition nevertheless that she gave full satisfaction to my friend the quaker that she had not murdered my child if she had i told her i would never see her face more however notwithstanding this she came over afterwards without giving my friend any of that satisfaction or any account that she intended to come over I can say no more now but that as above being arrived in holland with my spouse 
and his son formerly mentioned, I appeared there with all the splendour and equipage suitable to our new prospect, as I have already observed. Here, after some few years of flourishing and outwardly happy circumstances, I fell into a dreadful course of calamities, and Amy also, the very reverse of our former good days. The blast of heaven seemed to follow the injury done the poor girl by us both, and I was brought so low again that my repentance seemed to be only the consequence of my misery as my misery was of my crime. End of section 32